It's the 21st of April, 2015, and this is the Audio Podcast, episode 149, Low Hertz Rush. Hello, I'm Samuel Freeman. I'm back after my um, sort of holiday type thing. Hey, Scott here is there, and we have Adam Yance. Indeed, we do. And, of course, those of you who have listened to the show um, multiple times in the past will know this, but... You can go to the audio podcast website for uh, notes on all we're going to talk about today with links that go off to various places. Yip dee dee. Um, that is at the audiopodcast.co.uk forward slash show forward slash 149. And we'll give um, info about contacting in, um, in, at the end of the show. Um, someone's dinging there. Just me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sounds like his breakfast is ready. Ha ha! Ha! Indeed, so. Straight into the news, then, shall we go? Okay, I'm going to take it with Marshall. Marshall have entered the world of virtual amplifier simulatory things, um, which does loads. So this is Plexi being rebuilt in virtual form. Um, I, I have to say that when I read this, I was like, Marshall don't have any digitally modelled stuff. I, it was kind of, it was almost not news, because it's not really news. Like, pretty much every other company that has made a thing like this has done this already. So, I mean, it's big, I suppose it's big news that it's Marshall, but I would have thought they'd have done it already. I'm surprised that they hadn't already done it. Do, do they not know that everybody else has already made some... Uh quite clearly clone version of their amps, but not called their amps as well. Well, yeah, I mean, this is it. Is they might as well jump in and make the official version, and they might as well have done it five years ago. Um, this plugin is only available on the Apollo um, and AUD systems, so it's... I believe so, yes. It's not, it's not even available to everyone, really. And again, it's like, why not just make it? Why not just make it an AU and a VST, and really get all the money in? But I don't know. They they know what they're doing. Not not my place to question them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Not Adam's place to question. I like it very much. Uh, here, here comes the next one. Here, um, this is a cool one. Ardor Four has been released. The the big news is it's now on Windows. And no longer requires Jack. You can use Jack if you want, but if you don't want to, then there are other options pre-built, other options built in. I thought that does was that pretty mean, awesome. Does that mean without Jack on Linux or on any of them? Without... So on Windows, you can use ASIO. On Mac, it has the Core Audio, and on Linux, um, it has Alsa as well as Jack. Oh, so, yeah. Well, that's a good thing. So I remember years ago when I tried to install it on a Mac and I was like, oh, I have to install Jack as well and it's just another layer of cruft is how I feel about it because Core Audio is already there and everyone already uses it. Yeah. So that's good, that's good. Have you had a chance to have a play with it yet, either of you two guys? No, I've only looked through the notes. I haven't played. Mm, I, I had a look at an earlier a, one, a, a release, a kind of beta sort of release thing, but I haven't looked at the proper version. The, the proper version of it yet. Yeah, there's there's quite a few bits that have moved that have changed around a little bit. Um, there is the user interface is completely redesigned and changed. So support for Ardor three themes is now gone. Um, 
which you know, it's fair enough. And the one big difference, though, is that the actual memory footprint is significantly reduced. So I think it's it's in the note here, um, eighty an eighty percent reduction in an empty session. Oh, do you think that's something to do with removing Jack or not having to use Jack? I you, well, I suspect it, there could well have been parts of that and other optimizations as well. I also suspect. I'm saying, let's be honest, most most of the time people don't worry so much about memory management, do they anymore? Because Many program, most languages do it automatically to a degree and to a certain level of success. And when most people's machines are stuffed full of memory anyway, there's no real need to be worried about it, is there? So, you know, it doesn't strike me that every now and again you can be like, hey, let's fix some memory issues and make huge savings. So that, that's cool. I thought, it was, I, thought it was, I thought it was really cool, though. It, it's good to have that. I, sometimes. See, we, we've had a, a lovely relationship with Fondo, haven't we? Um, here, here we go, Sam. Here's a great question for you. Pop quiz for Sam. What episode did we have um, the Ardor development team on? I could tell you where we were when we recorded it, but I have to, the number is not... Is not how, it was one of the first ones... How that long ago was that? Was that in 2012, do you think? What year was it? I think it might have... It could have been 2012. I think it was more like it to be 2011. And... Oh, an early number then. It's going to be like 30 or... Not even 30, something like that. It is number 31. Hey. There you go. Oh, oh, I was so close, and it was a complete guess. <laughs> complete guess. Yeah. So back in back in 2011 in show 31, we actually had an interview with Paul Davis, where we chatted over, this is at Ardor, if I remember correctly, we've been Ardor version 2 at that point there. And we, we chatted about what, what the future might be for Ardor and what things there would be, and it's it's nice that a lot of that has come to fruition now, which is, which is really cool, because... Yeah, it, it is. It is kind of nice. They got um, so anyway. Ardor is it's well. We've all we always joke about Ardor, don't we? I thought we were going to get away without hating this moment. But if you're a, if you're a Linux user, Ardor is inside your package management, ready to go, and it's free. Um, if you're on Mac or Windows, it is available as source code for you to build, which is just like the worst thing in the world to have to do. And otherwise, there's sometimes like. Sometimes the fr the binary is free, and sometimes it won't let you have the free binary. Is that not, is that not the case? Um, sort of. I think that they've they've moved it around a bit now. They they have buttons for you can get a free demo, so you can just download it anytime and it'll run. But then it will silence after about ten minutes, so it's it's an actual demo. Um, and then to get the program, you can either subscribe for one, four, or ten dollars a month, or you can buy it for at least one dollar. So it's still it's still a pay what you want, as long as you're giving them say a dollar. Um, yeah, and they're very it's it's yeah free free Libra, not free gratis. Is the yeah. is the thing that it is. There you go, cool. There you go. So our version four is available for Snow Leopard, Lion, Mountain Lion, Mavericks, and you sent it. You sent them. You sent them. Yeah. yeah. Yosemite. Like okay. Yosemite. Yoshi Marmite, that'd be what we call it. Yoshi Marmite. Like, like Yoshi's Island. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed so. We don't talk enough about uh, Yoshi and, and Nintendo and but then this is not the computer games podcast, this is the audio podcast. That's true. Final piece of news, um also it's hidden inside it's not I think this no, no. Is, um, Final piece of related news to our current news item. I'm sorry, I was I was I was subcategorizing. Is that in amongst the version four release notes is a is a little one line that 
this Arndor 4 will serve as the platform for Harrison's upcoming release of Mixbus version 3. So if you're a Harrison Mixbus user, then there is an update coming for you, which will be based on Arndor 4 as well. So that's cool. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. even in the notes. So no wonder you confused both Sam and myself. There you go. You see, that's because if you listen to the show, you get the real, the real meat. If you if you read the website, you get the easily summarized. <laughs> you you get the appetizers. Mm. <laughs> you get the bread. Garlic bread with cheese. Garlic bread with cheese. You do actually just get the bread, don't you? I think it's just the bread. Okay, yeah. uh, how about this one here? Somebody tell me what, what what about Morgan Stanley and Pandora? What is this? All, all the poppadoms. <laughs> I I have no idea about what this is about at all. I I could like try and read it now and summarize it, but. No. Um, are, are Morgan Stanley basically analysing the streaming market and wondering whether Pandora is going to survive or not? Yes, but they're just analysing Pandora. That's one tasty poppadom. That's one tasty. So, but, but, well, first of all, we're saying the, I guess the background is: uh, Do you remember that Pandora went public? It had a, it had a, it had a, um, an IPO, so it's a public listed company, so they're required to do due diligence, and as a consequence, Morgan Stanley have uh, been investigating Pandora's uh, business model, and it's uh, quite quite interesting. Um, I think the summary that I put on, uh, will, will it survive and in what way? Um, it's quite interesting, really. Essentially, the, the quote is great. This is uh, from Morgan Stanley. Our gut is, despite the rhetoric, labels do not want its $450 million in growing royalties to go away. But there is very little chance it can continue in its current form. <laughs> So it's quite interesting. So they were, um, you know, it's just that classic thing. Just it's essentially if Pandora, there is a current case running which will just decide whether Pandora is under or overpaying and almost certainly is going to decide they're underpaying and it's expected that they may need a lot of money underpaying just artists. to meet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Underpaying, well, underpaying labels and by extension artists okay. for, for streams. Well, so, it's... it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because the the record companies want more money, but Pandora won't want to double their fee, their fee that they pay that they charge for people to use the service. So, um, I don't know. Is it is it silly of me to feel like the record labels should just be like, you know, we should be glad that we're getting money per play? For something that people would probably go and find for free online anyway, so maybe let's not uh, maybe let's not try and get so much money and let's try and let this business model thrive a bit. Is, is that unreasonable? From whose point of view, it sounds reasonable to me, but <laughs> I guess you, I don't know from whose point of view. <laughs> I guess you're, you're taking the approach, Adam, that any money is better than no money. And which, piracy. Yeah, any money is better than no money and piracy, which is definitely the case if you, you don't mind not knowing what the future holds, I guess, isn't it? Nobody knows what the future holds. Nobody knows. Well, yes, but you can, you, you can plan to have a sustainable future with the intent of delivering it, and you can plan not to worry about how you're going to be operating next week. And you know. Yeah. 
I don't, but I don't see how that has any effect on whether you're getting money from streams or not getting any money from streams. If anything, you want to have the money from streams because at least it's money. It's something. Yeah. Well, I think the the issue here though is that Pandora can't actually. Pandora will pro will probably cease to operate as a business unless the record labels negotiate down whatever the legal ruling decides. So that's like, and and that's essentially is the problem is that having the it, it's essentially this moment where having gone through an entire process to establish, having gone through a, a kind of legal process to establish that you're not being paid enough, you're then given the option of either accepting you're not being paid enough or putting the thing out of business and receiving nothing. Do you think and I guess he did an IPO with this in mind to basically be able to sh show proof of um, that the, the economics of this don't work unless the record companies make it work? Perhaps. I don't know. Well, they could have done it anyway, I suppose. It's up to them. If they're private, they can release their accounts if they really want to. Yeah, but they they certainly could have done. I'm saying I'm, I know the people behind Pandora have got a obviously will have got a, a substantial amount of money on the back of it. So you know what I mean. So that's true. That's true. It, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. My intention is to actually when when it next comes to my turn to do a feature, which I might be next week or the week after. I was thinking it might be nice to have a little overview of the streaming world. And I was that my hope was to do a little feature like that because it's becoming we're getting lots of stories about it and things like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I think Jay Z's exclusive release on the title is has done incredibly well on the charts on on the back of the whole title on the back of the whole title release. And it just struck me there's lots of interesting dynamics happening in the streaming world with the the way the streaming world is running. And then for this story to turn up, which is basically to say, and by the way, guys, it's completely unsustainable. I thought it was quite interesting. So show that the idea of a streaming chart is completely bonkers. Yeah, ev every week for about for maybe about two months now. I mean, it's insane. You could just get a computer, a robot to play your track and boost the, the streaming values. It doesn't make any sense at all. Is, is that an Adam Yanchi book that'll be available uh, next week for our listeners? Uh, the, uh, pamphlet, maybe, if I've got time. The e-pamphlet. <laughs> any, any I, mean, I suppose that the people listening, they'll, they'll take into account the streams from people who are actually paying to use the service rather than... like. No, they, they count every stream, don't they? So we, we discussed the formula, so I guess the, the one thing is that you are going to have to stream millions of streams, though, so it's quite a, you know... You're going to be listening to the same song continuously. But then, I suppose previously, were were the charts based on airplay or were they uh, based on sales? UK charts were based on sales. The official charts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so Motu have released uh, a new ultralight. <laughs> they have. It has AVB on the Ethernet there. USB as well, so it's you know USB continues, Ooh. no, no Firewire and no uh, whatever um. Thunderbolt, but uh, it's got USB, but it's got the old style USB, not the new flashy C USB, which yep, it's got the classic 
Type B connector. It also has MIDI, so yeah, it's got your twenty, it's got your thirty-year-old connector on there, and your and your twenty-year-old connector on there, and I don't know well, how old the Ethernet connection. How is. old is it, is the XLR connector? That's probably about sixty years old or something, isn't it? Yeah, and it's got you know it's balanced TRS on there as well, and optical in and out as well. So these things are That'd all... be amazing. Someone should actually take like the Thunderbolt, a Thunderbolt interface, and and say, okay, Thunderbolt is like five years old, these XLRs are 60 years old, and then just, you know, it's like an archaeological dig, and say, oh, jack, jack connections are this old, and the power connector, well, they standardized those in this year, and yeah, that would be fun for about five minutes. Yeah. So if you're, a, if, if you're an OSX 10.10 user, it, you can actually use this interface via its... You can actually directly plug into the interface via its Ethernet port um, on a on, on a separate <laughs> network. It's completely network. useless because modern Macs don't have that. <laughs> well, the the desktop ones do, but, um, but, but the, the, yeah, they they they've missed a they've missed a trick there. They've got this functionality about five years too late. It's a shame because. The, no, none of the laptops apart from the uh, MacBook Pro, the old style MacBook Pro, have got an Ethernet port on them. But what you can do, if you wanted to, I was just getting there because I, I too was like you, Adam. I was like that would have been an awesome feature a decade ago. <laughs> um, I, I too was that opinion. But then, as I as I went further down through the release notes, what I discovered is that what you can actually do is you can get a airport. Um, Get an airport and connect it to the the ultralight AVB, and then control the ultralight AVB over Wi-Fi. Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. That's pretty now. Cool. And and looking, do, doing the classic looking at a web page, <laughs> web page on a web page, it actually appears that there is a browser-based control surface now as well. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see they've got a picture of it on there. So um. Congratulations to Motu. I think I've said this before in a previous uh, show. Congratulations for, to Motu for uh, moving away from that random card-based um, website interface that they used for a little while, which was unfathomable and not enjoyable. And now they have formatted it as a as a as a whole page that you can scroll down in one go, which is nice. And yeah, if you scroll down. About just over halfway, there's a web app control section on the uh, Ultralight AVB page, and you've got, I guess that's Safari that they're using yeah. in the screenshots. Um, it looks very uh, snazzy. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Also also featured on this is the modeled analog EQ and the compression inside QMix, inside um, QMix in there as well, which uh, includes the the leveler is the model of the Teltronics LA2A as well. So that's a uh, that's pretty cool. Ooh. And also, can I can I continue to uh, say thank you to Motu for making their interfaces last so long? I've got a first generation Traveler here, which oh. works on Yosemite, but it also still works on uh, ten point six point eight. So you know, well. It, it always did work on that, so that's good. But the traveller, this traveller must be easily over ten years old. Yeah, let's keep if, going. If if you have a Mark One eight two eight, you have support on ten point ten and OS eight point six or whatever it is. <laughs> Maybe nine point two. 
Is it nine point two? I thought it went to nine, eight. Maybe it is just nine. Maybe nine point two point two is the last version of the classic Mac OS. But maybe but, it was on eight point six as well. Yeah. I thought that was you know that's pretty cool because I I'm actually listening to you right now via the medium of an eight two eight Mark II, which has sat in its rack and outlived four different computers. So. Mm. Go go Motu. I, I think people know we're big. Well, I don't know. I think people know that I'm a big fan of Motu hardware. Um, yeah, it's, it's not been such a recent thing, but it used to be. We'd mention it every other week, but it's worth yeah. mentioning again. Mark the unicorn. Yeah. Good, yeah. good for them. And some people, some people will uh, say they're too expensive. It's not maybe the best quality. I mean, it's still very good quality, but the fact is, longevity is there, and. If you're like Scott and you you buy a new piece of hardware and expect it to work for 20 years, then uh, um, you know Motu is the brand you want to go. Or for. at least historically, I mean, we don't like. Well, this new box has a lot of input and output for a small box. It is does look yeah really good. It's no guarantee it's going to be as well built as the old stuff. I mean, we assume it's going to be because it's Motu, but you know, yeah. Apple laptops used to be really good. Yeah. They still are built well. Mm, okay, maybe. I, a lot of uh, you see, I hear a lot of people having broken broken Macs. But this is not time to to gripe about the broken Macs. Rather, this is time to discuss another celebrated ancient technology <laughs> of the uh, of of the seventies, uh, eighties, and early nineties, which Adam Yanch is having a foray into. Yeah, so um, previous listeners, we're now in the features the feature area, by the way. Um, previous listeners will hopefully have listened to um, uh, Sam. What what show number was it? Why do people? <laughs> I've been away. I don't know anything about the audio podcast. <laughs> uh, it always seems to be you that has the that gets the number the the fastest. Um, but yes, a few uh, episodes ago, I did a feature on. Um, creating a music release for cassette tape um, and since then I've had my tapes delivered and if, you, if you're on the YouTube feed you can see on my picture that I've got a, a lovely bright orange cassette with its case next to it. That is the release. It's called Voltronic Galaxy and if you have a look here, so this is side A here. If I turn it over Side B is called Galaxy, so um, that's all very, very tasty. It's done on transparent orange cassette, uh, on body printing, very flash. So yeah, this uh, this feature I was just going to kind of conclude. Um, really, the rest of the experience, um, and maybe the reason why I kind of realised one of the good reasons for doing this, um, even though it's an old school format. Um, any any idea of the num the show number, Sam? Or did you have a look, or I? Or did Scott? It, have a it look? looked to me like Scott was looking, so I didn't try. <laughs> it is. It was. Uh, th this is a continuation of show one four two. One four two. So six episodes ago. Uh, is it one four nine today? Oh, seven episodes ago. Um, so yes, I received my tapes. They were a little late coming back. Um, and then the important thing, so of course with a, a CD, CD, if you get CDs done not in a burner, but, but kind of mass produced, they're stamped. Um, the same with 
LPs, they're stamped, they make a master um, template and use that to stamp the actual records. With tapes, um, I don't know how they do it, mass mass pr production, but these ones are done basically you put one in and or you'll, you play the audio into several different uh, cassette recorders, I imagine. Um, so it's important to actually listen to your tapes. Now, I only, I only got 25 made, so it wasn't too hard. But um, when I did listen back to them, um, quite a few of them had a speed, um, a, a constant speed difference to the original. So it's not... Uh, it wasn't um, wow or flutter. It wasn't changing. It was actually recorded at the wrong speed. Um, so that's one thing to do if, to, to check for if you're getting your tapes is listen back to them and you know compare them to the original. And if they are not done right, then get in contact with your with your duplicator and say these aren't done right. I sent the ones that uh, weren't correct back. And they redubbed them, and they're fine now. So can I? So how many out of your twenty-five did you find? Were... Um, let's see, twenty-five. So probably good uh, sixteen or so. So I'm, I'm trying to imagine the tech because I imagine that they're not doing this in real time. They'll be playing the audio. I mean, I don't know. Either they're doing it in real time, or the take the speed difference could be explained by them doing it at high speed, you know, yeah. playing the audio at high speed and running the tape too fast so that when you play the, speed, the tape back at normal speed, it should be normal. I mean, we're talking the maximum um, the, the maximum difference was a, a semitone. It was always sharp, um, but it, you're looking at a semitone higher than at the original material. But it was actually kind of variable between... Um, they said that they needed to go through their system and... Um, you know, do the um, recalibrate it and stuff. So they did that. I got my tapes back, and now they're all great. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know how to. How, I, I was wondering if it would be like every other one, or if it would be there would be like four or six or eight, depending on how many tape decks they had or yeah, something. Because they might be doing. There'll be a bank that are done simultaneously, and yeah. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't get any. A significant idea of of what that was. Um, sales so far, well, I've sold one tape, which to me is actually a, a kind of a, a win because that means that someone somewhere's found this tape online and has decided to buy it. This was someone who I don't know. I was going to say, so, I'm just like, although I probably intend to buy this at some point, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I know it wasn't you because I didn't send it to you. <laughs> Um, for the listeners benefit there that way, yeah. anyway. so there, there are plenty left um, I've probably sent a few off to for promo reasons and that's for me that's that's kind of one of the interesting things about going for tape is that there are specific tape blogs that will not accept anything other than a tape so that opens having it on tape opens the avenue of being able to send it to these people um, this tape has been on Tabs Out already. Tabs Out is a, I think it's tabsout.com, is a website which is more a kind of catalogue. So if you send your tape, and it's not really stupid, if you give them all of the information they require, then they'll put it up on their site when they receive it. 
So it's not the same as getting it in a music blog. Um, but uh, yeah, it, for me, it opened up another um, avenue of sending, you know, of people I can send the tape to. Also, I found that I could send an email to someone and say, hey, I've got this tape. Would you like a copy of it? I'd like to send you a copy. Would you like to receive it? And they say it's like a way of starting a conversation. Yeah. Um, and they say, oh, okay, that sounds cool. Um, yeah, send me a copy. Or they, they might say, that sounds cool, um, but have you got a digital version? You know, there's no point in, we don't have a tape deck or don't waste the tape on us, but, you know, have you got the digital version? So it's a kind of way of starting a conversation with someone that you don't know, effectively, which is kind of nice. Um, I've also sent it off to a few uh, radio stations like... Um, University radio stations based in the states, so we'll see what happens there. I just do not know. I do not know. But also having a digital version on Bandcamp with download codes is uh, cool as well. So um, yeah, uh, I, I think that's kind of it really. I, if there's anything significant that happens in the future, I might do part three. But um, this is the experience I've had so far. Cool. Oh, and and you. Tapes, you can get them in all sorts of colours and in different finishes and whatnot. So that's a nice orange tape, but you can get pretty much the full spectrum of colours. You can get ones with like dotty designs on them. You can get ones that are opaque or transparent like this one. Um, yeah, if you find the right place to make your tapes, then uh, you, can, you can have labels or you can have on-body printing for an extra fee. Um, and yeah, look, the this this has got the track listing on it right here. I presume that the distributor provides kind of templates for providing the artwork and stuff. And yeah, they had that. The, the ones I went to had it on their website, and I just uh, they're like Photoshop ones, or they give you they also give you the uh, dimensions. So I just program the dimensions into uh, I can't remember what I used. I might have used Pixelmator um, and and just did it. And kind of laid it out like that, and you can send um, those files digitally. You can send the audio digitally, um, so it's really easy to do. Cool. I like it a lot. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Um, any any other question? Um, I'm 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 intrigued by the on body printing on the actual cassette itself, and like, yeah, so. Much, like, Obviously, you know, you provide the, the text, but the design itself on there, is that something that you've done, or is that...? Yeah, yeah, so basically the lines on there are what I've done. Um, it's so it's basically, to... is it just like a monochrome dis design? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically you say um, you design, I think it's... Um, you design your, your design as uh, white on black. Um, no, black on white. So and it's monochrome. You can only use one color, um, and then you say to them um, what what color ink you want printed. It's either white or black, and that'll depend on um, what color shell you use. So if you had a white shell, you can say just print it black. Um, I've done white printing, obviously there, um, and then the bit around this bit around the real holes um, doesn't print on. So you just take that into account. They said. You, you know that bit won't print, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I uh, took that into account. Um, 
if you want to do like full color, then you have to have a label. But the label, um, I think making labels is easier. So I think that comes automatically with but the price, depending like on where you get so it. Much done. More cool, <laughs> oh yeah, I knew I had to have on-body printing because it just makes it look. It's like pro. It's the last little icing on the cake that makes it look like a real cool thing. So I was definitely on board for that. Um, but yeah, and um, also the J card you can print. Uh, the printing inside came with it as well, so you can print the outside, print the inside, um, and you can have f flappy based. If you've got lots of stuff to put in, you can have a flappy based one. But I didn't need that. So no, Adam, just... on the audio podcast, we're often talking about issues to do with licensing and um, and freedom of information and things. What kind of licensing have you kind of put onto this tape? Is it? Have you, is there a copyright notice um, on that? In there, I don't or? think I've put a copyright notice on there, but uh, it's it is effectively copyrighted. Yeah. So you've not put any copy lefty stuff on there? No, no, I haven't. Um, for, I, I've always been interested, but maybe more interested in stuff that I haven't released properly to do that. Um, but yeah, I haven't really dived into copy left uh, stuff or anything like that. That's cool. But yeah, not by, by not putting anything explicitly, you basically just leave in retaining the copyright that is automatically generated when you... Uh, I, that's how I assume it works now. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I don't know, Scott, am, uh, is that correct? Yeah, you, you have a intrinsic copyright to anything you do in the, you know, in the, in the UK and within the EU as well. I believe in the, in the US the law is slightly different in that you actually have to claim it. Okay. But, do I have to? Do I have to put it on my? Because it's done here. Am I protected in the states, or am I? Am I um, no, you're probably not doomed. You can re you can retrospectively claim your right if that makes sense. Like, yeah. You don't, okay. You know, so stuff. I I think it's it's one of those classic moments where the law states one thing, but you, you know, I mean, you'd have to. You'd have to be fairly moronic to attempt to violate somebody's copyright on this kind of issue. Yeah, it's and expect obvious. to get away with it, you know, it's it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so I mean, I'm done. Uh done with that. Um uh yeah, if you're interested at all in the creation process, you go back to show 142 where I talked about uh how I kind of created the um created the release specifically to do with side lengths and how you build up the the, the album that way. Uh, and if you have any other questions, you know, you can get in contact uh, via the contact information we'll mention at the end of the show. Indeed so. There we go, cool. Thank you very much, Adam. An awesome feature. You know what time, when you go, when you leave the feature, it's time to go to the plunder. That was a pirate eating a snack. Tasty. I like it. Tasty. Tasty, Tasty snack. Um, I, I'm responsible for all the plunder this week, so uh, <laughs> which gives me the great opportunity to ask random questions of people. So, uh, Sam, uh, could you? Uh, what do you think of the uh, Libra Graphics World interview of the Audacity team? I think it's cool that we have an interview with the Audacity team because Audacity had a new release recently with some awesome new features, and I hope that if and when I listen to this interview, they will discuss those. Hooray! When was the last time we talked about Audacity? Um, it was the last time I was on the show, which wasn't the last show. <laughs> <coughs>
Neither, well, yes, it was. Uh, I'm trying to think when it was. It would have been, yeah, the, the 2.1 release, wasn't it? It was two shows ago, whenever it started, just before Easter, I think. Yeah. So, thank you. That. It's cool. Um, the, the interview has a, you know, it, it's transcribed as text. It's, it's a text interview, so you can go read it and have a quick look through there. And there's a couple of things, you know, they talk a little bit about the health of the community around the project. They talk about the issue, the, the, the kind of classics of, you know, have you thought about doing the interface again? And they talk about new, what new features could or could not be added in, in the future as well, which is quite, quite interesting as well. There was also a report, uh, there was also a mention of the what appeared to be a stalled collaboration with Intel exploring the idea of building Audacity for touch interfaces. And they were saying that now that the 2.1 release is done, that isn't actually stalled. It had just been put aside to get this 2.1 release finished off. So could well see Audacity on touch interface on kind of touch devices in the near future, in the future, which would be cool mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. I thought it was cool. You know, it's nice. It was, you know what I mean? Sort of this, you know? Sort of this. Okay. I like the way you said meh just there. You're like, meh. 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 Cool. So, uh, Adam, have you, uh, you know, do, do you do you think that the bedroom producer has arisen? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like... 10 to 11. I mean, they should be up by now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's optimistic. Yeah. That is. Ah, it's a joke. No, I, it's, I like that. I like that. Um... I can uh, bedroom yes because because yes the technology allows it and uh, there are obviously two guys in this uh, video here that do that um, it's, maybe it's more suited to specific music. This would be a good thing, I think, for... Oh, wow, and this was in 2011 as well. It is a plunder item after all. But um, this would be interesting for people who ha have no um, no idea how like current music is made um, using computers, and they'll realise, oh, wow, you've got the power to do this in your bedroom. But us three, we... The the what you know bedroom production is is we know how easy it is to do we've done it ourselves it's you know fairly straightforward. So it, I don't have anything to say about it. No, no, I I, I think Adam, you, you covered everything and became a robot, but perhaps failed to mention the fact that it's a a, doc, a video documentary on YouTube. It's a, it's a, it's also a video documentary on YouTube. There you go. And Scott, um, do you do you like walking around Abbey Road um, using Google? Yeah. So if you if you haven't seen this, I think this is pretty awesome. Um, it let let me just do the positive, and then I'll distract everybody with the with the the, the dark the darker element. Dark but um, the dark side of it. But uh, Google have released an interactive uh, tour of the Abbey Road Studios. Um, there you go. That, that's what it is. It's really cool. It takes advantage of all kind of all the Google technologies that you want to, including the fact that it's actually built on top of uh, Google Maps and Street View, because what this really is is a showcase of what the of what you can do with the internal mapping of buildings, which is where 
which is where Google has been going along for a while now with a whole load of kind of sensor-laden devices to start building these sort of maps. So, which is kind of cool, it is but cool. kind of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know where you are in the world, and we know where you are in the building. They don't actually know where you are in the building, though, do they? They know what the inside of your building looks like. No, but this is, it, it's all part of delivering the, you know, I mean, that's where that technology is moving towards. That's the purpose of doing it. I see. I think we're all happy to not have to know where people are in a building. In yeah. like my house, I pretty much know where everyone is right now. Well, it's good stuff. I like that. Thank you. So it's free. I don't know how long the interactive tour is actually up for. I've... I, I presume you presume forever, don't you? Because everything on the internet is forever. But. Yeah. But it also isn't forever. But then it also just disappears randomly one day, doesn't it? So. Well, that's the interesting thing is that you say that once something's on the internet, it's there forever. But then also the internet is basically just, it's just like, it's not a physical. Like the only physicality of the servers, and you're not looking at the server directly, are you? Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy, not for this podcast, the audio podcast, which uh, you've just been listening to show 149, uh, Zombie Zhang McGrath, I think it was called. Um, uh, remember, you can, all the stuff that we've talked about today, <laughs> all the stuff we've talked about today, you can see the notes uh, at theaudiopodcast.co.uk forward slash show forward slash 149. Um, yeah, you can uh, grab the podcast if you want using several podcast systems, uh, iTunes, G-Podder, Stitcher Radio. Um, we also do the YouTube's live feed if you like to see stuff. Uh, by stuff, I mean Scott Hewitt's face, Sam Freeman's face, and whatever I put on my camera uh, on, the, on that week. Because Adam Yelich does not have a face. Because I've, I've decided that I, I like to showcase little bits and bobs around the studio rather than uh, my face, which people probably seen before. Um, and contact Scott. Show show the audio podcast.co.uk for email, I think. Yeah, and then and the audio podcast for Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And we're also on Facebook and Google Plus as well. Though, has, has anybody checked those recently? Google Plus. Well, I have to go to Google Plus to get the link to the Hangout. So that's true, actually. Yeah. So we we always check the Google Plus. So you could say hi via Google Plus, and we definitely see that. Yeah. Now, is there anybody on Google Plus? I'm sorry. I'm just Twitter seeing. and email are the best ways to think. I think so. I think so. Yeah. But you want to try another way? Why not? not so Carry a pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> Carry a pigeon with a tape recording. That would be that would be nice. I'd like that. That's yeah, if you want to send your physical releases to us, do so by Carrier Pigeon. <laughs> we just needlessly extending the show now, guys. Uh, Indeed. So that was the audio podcast um, episode 149, which was, for your information, Adam, actually formally entitled "Low Hertz Rush." Low Hertz. I've been Scott Shirt. <laughs> I've been Scott Shirt. I've been Adam Yanch. Yeah! Walk up your zombies. Bye. Bye. Bye.